I'm Nicole McCants, a psychologist turned business coach for psychotherapists. It was not long ago when I was in solo private practice, seeing way too many clients feeling overwhelmed and burnt out. In 2016, when I became pregnant with twins, I knew I had to scale to a group practice because I couldn't keep working that much. I was sick of hitting the ceiling in my income and knew that the only way to make more money and help more people was expanding my practice. In three short years, I was able to scale it to 55 therapists and multiple seven figures. Once I was able to reach that goal, I had to take it to my peers. I'm here to teach you how to scale your solo practice to a group or take your group practice to the next level. We didn't learn anything about business in graduate school. So I created the Business Savvy Therapist podcast where I share easy to implement, business and marketing strategies so you can help more people, make more money, and have more freedom. Let's dive in. Welcome back to the Business Savvy Therapist Podcast. I'm so excited for you to meet Charlene who is a group practice owner and a successful one. I am so committed that us group practice owners get together and share our secrets because we all know we learned nothing about business in graduate school. Welcome to the show, Charlene. Thanks for being here. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Why don't you introduce yourself and a little bit about your group practice? Yeah, thank you. So I'm the founder of Thrive Psychology Group. We started in Los Angeles about five years ago. And since that time, we've expanded. We opened an office in New York, and now we're expanding telehealth across the country. And our primary focus when we started was on women's mental health. Now we've expanded a bit more past that, but that was our original niche was therapy for the modern woman. Oh, I love it. I love the name as well. I think the name is easy to remember. Have you noticed that the name in itself has helped the brand? Because I find some group practice names are so convoluted, like mine was. Mine was the Toronto Neurofeedback and Psychotherapy Center. It was a mouthful. But I find like like Thrive, it's just, you can't forget that. Yeah, we put a lot of work into it because when we first was setting up, and I say we because my husband also helped me with some of the branding and works as my COO. So he's kind of, for a very female-oriented brand, there's a man behind the scenes helping out. He's great. But yeah, sat down and I was like, well, what is it that I'm really trying to do? Like, what's the, the ethos that I want behind the practice? And it was really like, women do well with survival, you know, but there's a lot of people that are just crying on the inside, soldiering on, showing up, but not really, you know, living the life they want to live, the relationships they want to live, they're not thriving. And Mm -hmm. mental health didn't have, at the time, anything that was really aimed towards that. It was really just symptom management. And if you're functioning, then we're done. And there wasn't that holistic way of looking at therapy where it's kind of a, a blend of being able to do the really intense trauma work, but at the same time, also doing things we could say were like life coaching, more skill. Yeah. I noticed that on your website, like peak performance. I think that's really key. Have you noticed like that in itself that you you were a little bit different? Like that was your competitive edge in some ways that it wasn't just about illness, but it was more about wanting more from life and next level performance kind of things? Yeah. And I think it mattered that it was like very authentic to me and something I was really passionate about. I think whatever someone chooses for their their brand and their company, you have to be really all about it and what mm-hmm. you're 
your vision is. And I think I've always had like a really clear vision and passion for that. So it, it mattered quite a bit. And there really wasn't a lot for, you know, I had to think like, oh gosh, is there any peak performance for women? Not really. You know, we talk about it a lot for like with men, there's more of that, especially, you know, founders, entrepreneurs, there's a lot of that kind of talk, but there really is not a lot for women. Like how do we mm-hmm. function at our best as opposed to just being functional? Oh, so I, I think that. Yeah. So I think that made a big difference. And we really were the first and we had some people a lot, you know, outreach us during COVID to, to buy the practice. And some, one of the VC people had said, she's like, you're first to market for like that women's brand and focus. And there's been a lot of people since, but I think we were really just by whatever the zeitgeist of the times I happened to like be passionate about something that I think was just gaining traction around Me Too movement and Mm. just an awareness of how women were struggling. Yeah. Now, are you 100% private pay? Do you take insurance and mix of both? 100% private pay. Yeah. Okay. Nice. I would be really interested to know how, like why New York and kind of how all that happens. So you're in California, it's going well. And then what happens? Yeah. So, I mean, part of it, just a lot of our growth has happened organically from what the clients have requested. So there's a big back and forth by coastal thing that happens with a lot of people between California and New York. So, you know, we would have somebody be seeing us and then move. And then obviously because of the licensing laws, we would just have to like transfer them to somebody else. And and I had also done my first master's in New York. So I had like a real connection to the city and such a, such a different market than California. So it's been very interesting to open up there. I mean, all of them are, but New York is just really different in the way that just therapies run, the type of therapists that are there, the way that people look for therapy. It's very interesting, but we've been really successful there because I think women there are also really grinding themselves into the ground, working really hard, not thriving. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about that. I'm in Toronto in the New York of Canada. And tell me more about like the psychographics of people that are looking for therapy and how that, what you've noticed is different in New York as opposed to let's say California. Yeah. I mean, I think the similarity between the two is that the people are open. There's like less of a stigma for therapy. You know, when we've been in opening up in other states, there's still stigmas in some states, but I think in New York and in California, people look at their therapists as like part of their wellness team, you know, and they're totally, (laughs) yeah, my my therapist said this, my psychologist said this, like they're open. So that's similarity. The difference is being, I think, well, I think in New York, there's a lot more consideration for level of education. So our doctors do better. There's also more thoughts around age. I think people are less likely to want to go to someone who looks younger. That has been the number one challenge for us with our therapists. Mm-hmm. Is like if someone looks younger, you know, I think that that's so interesting. And I always say like, well, of all the fields, you know, at least it's one that will not be an issue after a while. You know, it's one that celebrates yeah. growing older. Yeah, that's so interesting. So I started building my practice from interns and we don't pay interns here. We're actually not allowed. And this is students. They're just learning to become therapists. They require supervision, but it's a hundred percent profit because they can't be paid. I wasn't paid. The downfall is, is that they're young. They're typically in their twenties and we also struggled. And so what I started doing, and I'm wondering if you're doing this is even though they were newer in their career, I just found more mature life experienced therapists Mm -hmm. who sometimes it matters that they have a family because the person wants somebody who has kids if they're going for child, you know, for parenting, for example. And that was a game changer is finding more mature people, even though they might be still green in their actual career. Yeah, no, definitely. I think for us, we've gotten people that are, and I don't know what in Canada is intern mean that they've got their their degree already and they're just earning their licensures after degree or is it the one that happens before they get yeah it it varies and I think you guys call them but maybe a 
uh, associates. So intern, they're still a student. It's like they're doing their practicum still. They're doing their practicum placement with us. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So we've done that too. We've had practicum people as well. And we're not allowed to pay practicum people, but then if they have their degree and they're still have to earn their hours afterwards, then yeah, that's... Yes. Pre-licensed. Yeah. Yeah. Varies by state. No, totally. Absolutely. Like what has been a really good sweet spot for us and, and it allows us to offer lower priced services when we have someone who is getting like an associate is what we call them in most of the system. Yes. Yeah. And someone who's pivoting, you know, someone who like raised their kids and they went back for their master's. It's rare to find someone with their PhD that's like midlife because it's, it's a lot of work that goes into it and that, but yeah, for their master's, there's a lot of people that want to get back into it. So they go for their degree and then they're maybe in their forties, they have adult children. So that's, that's also something we've done. Yes. Listen up guys. This is like little tips and tricks that you don't know until you have young looking people on your website and it is harder to quote sell them. Even though like we actually offer free consults and a lot of them were really great. So once they actually got on the consult call, they're like, oh wow. Okay. I'm going to get over that you look young because that was really a valuable conversation, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think of it as, it's, it's so funny because I think of it as like, you know, like when you're dating and you're kind of like, I'll date someone who's five years younger and 10 years older. Like everyone on my team kind of has that bandwidth that moves with them. And as, you know, as the team ages, it goes up. So like the people yeah. that will be into their 60s, right? But someone who's like 30 on our team, so nobody is going to want to see them really past 40. Sometimes they do, if, especially if it's specialty-based. That's yes. another thing is have them do a specialty that's something that testing people don't care as much. You know, if there's just a very specific EMDR or something that they're doing that, that nobody else offers on the team, that's also a way around. Or seeing teens, right? Like just then they, they see the younger people or kids. Yeah, that's what we had to do with some of our interns is one young gentleman just wasn't getting clients and then we put him in touch with teens and all the teen boys did so well with him and he retained them all. So I think yeah. it's some trial and error as well because they don't know because they're so new, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, they don't. Yeah. And that's a funny conversation to have with someone that's been tough. I mean, we've had to reshoot videos. We've had to redo headshots, things to like, you know, put a blazer on someone, try to age them up a little bit just so yes. that, you know, the way that the clients come in, they have a lot of, of choice. In our oh my gosh. Can we talk about this for a second? That's so funny because I actually, and in my program, I give my members this, a list of like how to show up for a headshot because there was one photo. It just didn't show. He didn't shine in it. Like I knew him, same guy. And so we redid the photo and just had him relax a bit into the photo. We And I love what you said about maybe change the outfit. And then there you go. And then they shine. And I love that you said that because a lot of people, I think, would just accept the photo and feel bad and not want to say, excuse me, sorry, we need to change this. Mm-hmm. So you've noticed that changing up the photo made the difference. Yeah, it did. And I think it varies. Like you were saying with that man, there's also, I feel like men, you have to you have to make sure that they're warm looking, you know, and then there's nothing kind of I don't know, intimidating or frightening about them. Yeah, whether they notice it or not, they're going to be assessing that. And then I've noticed for people that have their uh, doctorate degrees, making sure that they lean towards being more like warm and approachable people with their master's degrees, they have to make sure that they talk a little bit more about their competency. It's yeah. all that I don't think people are really thinking about it as they're choosing therapists, but I think yes. it's a lot going on in the background. So oh my gosh, we've done so many, we, we think about that and try to help people with that. And it's like us helping them. Like it's a little awkward when you're hiring someone and you're saying like, "Eh," you know, it's, it's hard to say, 
Although saying to somebody, you look kind of young is, is probably the least offensive thing that you could comment on, you know, about how they're going to present. But it's like, we want to make sure that you get the people that are coming to you. Yes. Want to hang out live? Join my next masterclass, Level Up to a Seven-Figure Group Practice, where I walk you through the proven strategies to scale your solo practice to a group or take your group practice to the next level. If you attend live, I give you a special bonus that you are not going to want to miss. The link to register is in the show notes. See you there. We are in the business of selling people. I know that sounds odd, but in the end, the number one page that people are going to on your website after maybe the homepage or wherever your ad took them is the Our Team page. So if you are not booking your therapist, go back into the photo and then go back into the bio. I think those are really key. Yeah, absolutely. And we can watch it. If you have the right kind of like analytics dashboard, we can see, right? If someone comes in, they look at the main page, if they go to their page and they drop off without booking, well, that's a sign. Or if they bounce to someone else, there's something wrong with their page. If someone comes into the main, goes to theirs, goes to their calendar, then drops off, then we know that they don't have enough availability. So it's like we try to track. I mean, in you know, it takes a lot of time internally for us to do that, for my team to do that. But when we do that, that we can see, oh, maybe they just don't have enough evening times for the people that they attract, or, you know, maybe they don't have enough morning times. And it really depends on, you know, if they're a younger, like say mid thirties person, they're more likely to get people that are locked in their career more and don't have the flexibility as someone who may be older on the team where like this person's in like a managerial role and they could take off in the middle of the day and nobody's going to care. So they have to have more evening available. It's all kinds of little demographics. Yeah. Just going into Google analytics, right? Mm-hmm. Is that what you're saying? And tracking mm-hmm. all those pages, there's extra things you can do that your Google person can, it's called hot jar. There's, you know, it tracks really specifically where that person is going. Yeah. And would you track that on the weekly or just when you noticed oh, why aren't they getting busy? Would you then jump into the Google Analytics to see the back end? I feel like we used to track it really heavily and then it just depends. You know, I think we used to do it weekly. We would look at it. We would see like how we're different ads doing, how we're different bios doing. So if we see someone struggling now, now we'll track it and we'll look at it. If there's someone who used to get a bunch of consults and now all of a sudden is getting nothing, we're going to try to figure out what's going wrong. But for the most part, I think we've tightened it up and try to prevent as many issues as possible, you know, making sure weekly, I have like my admin check calendars every week to make sure people have availability because the therapists forget, like if you put it on them to do it, they're going to forget. And so- or check and make sure there's evening availability or there's morning availability. Yes. I think a lot of other people growing, like they're just new to this. They don't realize that maybe they're not busy because they're just, they're only offering 10 to two and nobody, nobody's available in the morning. Right. And I also, I'm wondering your thoughts about this, that not holding on to all of the pressure to get everyone busy, that it is collaborative, that they're going to work on their bio and their photo and collaboratively offer those evenings and weekends, you know, that it's not just all the pressure on the owner. Yeah. And that's something we really fell into when we first started. And now we have gotten away from because it's, yeah, we did take all the pressure. We were like, just come be you, be an awesome therapist. We'll literally do everything else. And it ends up I think building a bad precedent where the therapist comes in and then they're like, well, how come I'm not full right away? But then they're not offering times or they're not good about rescheduling people or they're not, you know, receptive about redoing their bio or, you know, working on things. Cause we will also redo their bio, you know, we'll have them 
give it to us and then we'll tweak it, put it on. And if it doesn't do well, we'll try to think of ways to, to tweak it. It makes a huge difference. But yeah, it creates more of a, I don't know, just I, th- I think more of just less ownership, less initiative in, yes. in their process. And some people will naturally have a lot of initiative and that's just who they are. But I would say it's again, 80, 20, that's probably 20% of people that come in and they really take ownership of it. And then the other 80%, especially if you set it up as like, oh, we're just going to give you all the things yes. it can create, you know, resentment if they feel like they're not doing well. And then we can say, well, you're getting them, but you're not turning them or what's happening in there. You know, it just doesn't, there's no ownership. Yeah. And I think that has to start at the interview, just setting those expectations. And and then you're going to attract those type of people, those type of therapists that want to grow. And of course, the the benefit of the group practice is I want I want to give them their dream job where a lot of that they don't have to worry about and they do show up and do what they love. And though, if they notice they're not busy, that we can put our heads together because we're both committed to the growth. Do you know what I mean? Well, that's mm-hmm. why I love hourly employees or contractors because when I grow, they grow and we grow together. Yeah, absolutely. When we first started, we were very much oriented towards just like a full-time model and we would pay people before we had revenue. And part of that was because I wanted to attract people that may otherwise, you know, need to go to the VA or Kaiser or they needed the benefits. They didn't have benefits from somewhere else and they couldn't afford to do their own practice. But it was an enormous amount of money that we put out on them in the beginning. And we were in the red for them until we, you know, scaled them up. And it was so stressful for everybody. So now we've moved into and there, you know, and again, like it's the market has changed a lot where there's more opportunities for people to get their own insurance. This, I think probably not an issue in Canada, but for here, it was very insurance problem, right? People couldn't yeah. get their own insurance or benefits. And so now we've switched it to like, okay, come on, you know, with the part-time. And if you're a good fit and a good match for our clients, then we can talk about bringing you on full-time. And it has really changed like the attitude, the investment, the people that we've brought on. It's It's been great. And it hasn't diluted the quality, which was, I was worried that we wouldn't get the same quality of therapists that we were wanting, but it hasn't been an issue yeah. at all. And it was hard because if they weren't a good match and we had already spent all this money on them, it's really hard at that point to say like, uh, maybe it's not and cut from there because you'd already invested so much. Like, oh, they're just now starting to like, you know, break even on them. Yes. And then maybe you're just not seeing as clearly to say like, they're just not a good match. Like this is such a struggle compared to the other therapists. Now, just to clarify, you would pay on salary? When we first started, we had a split where we would pay like a certain amount for like just their base salary. So like half of it, and then half of it was they would just get per client and it would go up from there. But we gave okay. them from the beginning, we gave them, and it was a pretty high salary. For right. Okay. Yeah. So mm-hmm. out of the 55 therapists, 11 were salaried employees in my clinic. Mm-hmm. And it, let's talk about that for a second. So I found that stressful because if there was a no-show, I would look at their calendar and know how much I was forking out that day coming out of my bank. It just didn't work for my personality. I became obsessed with checking their calendar all the time, as opposed to it's just collaborative. You know, you're not you're not busy. I'm not I'm not spending money because of that. But there was also, do you notice a mental? There was a different mentality of a person who wanted to be paid on salary as opposed to wanted to be paid on performance, which is hourly or a contractor, right? Like you're only paid if you retain your clients, do a good job. And it's almost like they expected it to be a bit like a hospital job or an agency job where it's like easy breezy, but we're private. This is a private practice. And so they, they didn't last. They didn't last. It wasn't, 
it wasn't what they expected. It was a different mentality. I don't know if you noticed anything like that. Yeah, a hundred percent. And it ended up, there would be expectations for like raises without changes in level of performance. And it would be like trying to explain, like, we don't have like a grant. We're not part of a hospital. We're not paid for by the government. You're paid out of the revenue that you bring in unless you're, unless we're charging more for you, unless you're bringing more value in some way, it doesn't make sense to just keep giving raises. And they, I think they put their value into it. I think they saw it like they would at like a VA job or something like that. Yes. So, you know, it's, yeah, it it created weirdness. I think it just, it does. It makes psychological weirdness. And I think, yeah, absolutely. Also, we had the issue of the people now that we have full-time for the most part, they do something else. Like they're a manager in some way, like our training director, she's full-time. Nice. Does other things. But the problem with the full-time as well is depending on how many clients they're seeing, being able to even justify to the insurance, because this is an issue in the US, that they're a full-time employee. If they're seeing 25 people a week, you have to come up with other tasks for them to do. Some therapists, some psychologists are only good at doing therapy. Like they're not good at anything else. They're not good at managing. They're not good at anything else. So we would try to come up with tasks for them to justify. And it was just terrible. And it's so much work. I ended up doing a lot of work because I would be supervising all these projects and they would be doing these things, but they weren't good at the thing. And, And so it made more sense if someone's full time, they're that because again, like my training director, because she was good at it. She started the practicum program just because she cares about it. She's one of those people with initiative and it makes sense to have her full time, you know, because she, she really always self monitors in that way. But I don't think that's human nature at all to do. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And honestly, for those listening who are starting out, I would not suggest salaried because of the cash flow issue. I'd rather you invest in Google ads and revenue generating things as opposed to it going to an employee and then you stressing out. Yeah. And that was our number one barrier to growth always is because like a certain number of people, you know, we'd be putting it out on them and, and we would say, you know, we would tell our team like, okay, well, people would get resentful as soon as they filled up, they would be like, well, so-and-so is not filled up and they're getting paid as much as me. And it's like, yeah, but you did too. But it's that you forget as soon as, you know, you start having the pride in being filled up when you were the one who wasn't and it got, it made team weirdness. So we really are just doing away with it at this point. And again, and I would recommend that for sure. It's so interesting because we want to reward performance, but it ends up actually doing the exact opposite. So listen up, learn from our mistakes, my friends. (laughs) This is why I love talking to other group practice owners because until like literally I showed up, there's a few of us showing people, okay, this is how you do it. We didn't learn any of this. So we just trial and error it. So learn my friends from us. <laughs> Thank you so much. This was so fruitful conversation. If people want to find you, mm-hmm. how do they find you? Well, you can just reach out. You can just email me. That would be fine. It's dr.ruan at mythrivepsychology.com or our website is www.mythrivepsychology.com. My Thrive Psychology. That's probably the easiest way outreach me. And yeah, I love talking to people about it. And I think it's really important for group owners to connect. It's a very lonely thing. So I'm glad that you're starting this because it's, it's a lonely job. And, but if you connect <laughs> yes. with group owners, it helps. For sure. Oh my gosh. When I first started business coaching years ago, and I, I realized that nobody is as regulated as us. So I wanted to help therapists because how do you grow in such a highly regulated world? Yeah. But I would always joke in our masterminds with other group practice owners, I would be like, this is my group therapy. You know what I mean? Because it is. Is lonely at the top. It really is with all the pressure on you. It is. Yeah. 
And it is a home. And you're right. We serve, I say we serve different masters because we have to serve the board and then a different one in every state. And then you serve like the APA, in our case, in the US, the APA. And then you're, you know, and then you're serving legal things and then the regulations and employment laws. And it's a lot. And I don't think people realize we have to somehow make those all get along HIPAA laws, like everything we have to do. Yes. All the hats. (laughs) Awesome. Thank you so much for being here. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to the Business Savvy Therapist podcast. I hope this episode was helpful. I would be so grateful if you would share this with a peer or colleague that is wanting to help more people make more money and have more freedom. Make sure to subscribe so you do not miss any new episodes and please do leave me a review. It would mean the world to me. Thanks again for listening and I'll see you in the next one.